0: hello and welcome to the landmark theaters q a podcast today we'll hear a QA recorded following a screening of the report with former u.s senate investigator daniel j jones on whom the film is based this q a was moderated by janelle riley of variety and recorded at the landmark in los angeles during the film's opening weekend Hey, good evening, everyone. My name is Janelle Riley. I'm an editor at Variety. Thank you so much for coming out for this opening weekend of the report. He literally needs no introduction because you just watched a movie about him. Please welcome Daniel J. Jones. (laughs) (laughs) Please do. There were, uh, there were some actual gasps when I mentioned your name. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Um, when you were slaving over this report for so many years, probably alone and isolated, did you ever think they'd make a movie of it?
1: Well, first of all, thanks for everyone <laughs> being here tonight. This is, uh, It's super exciting to be here, premiere day. Uh, no, of course you don't think about that uh, when it was happening, although center, former Senator John McCain uh, used to say that all the time, like, this, is, really? this thing is a movie, this thing is a movie, only because it was so crazy, right, you yeah. can't actually believe it. But, um, you know, this film, and in fact the report itself, wouldn't have been completed without John McCain. Really? Absolutely.
0: That's really wonderful to hear. <laughs> um, so at what point did, uh, were you approached with the idea of making it into a film?
1: Right, so the full report came out in December of 2014. That's the executive summary, not the full report, I should say. Um, And my job after the report came out was to take calls from the press and academics and people in the creative community, and Scott was one of those people. Uh, But he set himself apart immediately because he was the person who was calling and asking about footnotes and and books he'd read. I mean, Scott was really in the weeds. So for about a year, we just basically nerded out on the material, for lack of a better word. Uh, And I didn't really know what he was doing. It was just someone who called and was interested in the report, so I talked with him about it. Um, And then it was probably 18 or 24 months later that I actually realized what he was actually doing in the background after our talks.
0: So from the start, he knew that this might be the basis of a movie.
1: Well, he was going to originally do a film based off the two psychologists. Um, he really. was inspired by a Vanity Fair piece called Rorschach and Awe, which is about Mitchell and Jessen. And that led him eventually to the report, which came out in December of 2014, and then led him to discussions with me.
0: Wow. And the report, by its very nature, um, wasn't meant to garner attention. So did it feel strange when it was you were finally able to talk to people about it?
1: Right. I mean, uh, we we spent seven years on this. Right, as a, as a as a Senate, two years in the tapes investigation, which Scott kind of you know pushes into about five or ten minutes of the film, and then five years in the larger investigation that led to the sixty-seven hundred page report. No, we couldn't talk about the contents of that report or anything we were doing with anyone uh, for that entire that entire seven year period.
0: Did Scott ever say to you like what made him sort of change his mind? What it was about you that he found you know a more compelling story?
1: You know, I, I've heard Scott you know uh, yeah. field, field this question before. Um, but I think the more he got into the material, the deeper he got into the material, um, he realized it was a bigger story that he wanted to tell. Um, and not just the, the story of the report, but the story of writing and researching and the fight to release an executive summary of that report.
0: Mm-hmm. When he first uh, talked to you about the idea of you being the central figure of this movie, were, were you a little bit uncomfortable? How did you deal with that?
1: Well, I don't. To this day, I don't think that Adam is even the central figure of this film. I think it's the report itself that is the central figure, like that is the star of the film, um, and I'm really proud of my contribution to that report. I think it's really important. Um, the senators did this so it doesn't happen again, um, and I hope it reminds people, particularly now, of yeah. the importance of congressional oversight.
0: It's pretty insane that it's opening this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> the timing could not have. That was that worked out really Scott well. Scott
1: planned that for five years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, so at what point did you know that Adam Driver was going to be playing you?
1: This was probably... Uh, it came in through Steven Soderbergh. Uh-huh. So Steven had worked with Adam on Logan's Lucky. And I think in discussions with Scott, they were looking for someone who could... Um, Steven has said this publicly, can be a bit obsessive. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think Adam's just so fantastic. And we do kind of share that trait mm-hmm. of uh, zeroing in um, and, and taking your job really seriously. And that, that's Adam. Um, and, you know, Scott had this monumental task of taking seven years and a 500 plus page executive summary into a two-hour film and then adam had this task of actually conveying time Mm -hmm. right seven years on his face and his eyes if you go back and watch it again just look at adam the way he holds his shoulders um, just it, it's really incredible how he you can you know chase time through his character and it was shot in 26 days That's and it was insane. shot out of order which I didn't know that was a thing but you shoot out of order <laughs> and just think that Adam pulled that off in that way it's really incredible just really thankful for him and John and Annette who's so fantastic oh yeah um, yeah uh, uh,
0: have you talked to Senator Feinstein how does she feel about Annette playing her
1: Right. So there was a D.C. premiere um, last week or the week before. It was a a, a showing. Um, And Feinstein was there and she really loved the film. And uh, I think San Francisco Chronicle Chronicle interviewed her about it. So, you know, for us, not only the staff, but especially the members, the senators who fought so hard on this. You know, we were front page coverage all over the world Mm -hmm. for one day and then we weren't. And we really wanted to penetrate culture and society with this report, and in a way that we couldn't do. Scott and Annette and Adam uh, and John and the producers, Danny Goodbye, Jennifer Fox, um, Eddie Moretti, like they're bringing this story. They're, they've taken the baton, and I think to large part of this does this does end up never happening again. It will be because of Scott and the filmmaking team.
0: I mean, did Adam spend any time with you? Did you catch him studying you, or? <laughs>
1: Uh, Adam and I met several times. I mean, for him, it was really important to know the context, what was going on, you know, uh, not just know your lines, but understand mm-hmm. what's happening. And this is a dense film, right? And it's it's complicated. Uh, and he was he was curious, right? He wanted to know what was going on in the background. And, and that's the same, right? John was the same. they were all very engaged in, in doing it and doing it right. Uh,
0: you mentioned that this is a dense topic and yet I feel that Scott made it so accessible and, and fairly easy to understand for audiences. Did he run drafts by you or did you have discussions about it?
1: You know, to the extent I had any role in the film, it was uh, Scott would call me and be like, hey, if I say this, is that right? If I change this <laughs> word to that, is that still right? Um, and, you know, a lot of times it would be fine, but sometimes it matters, right? So, yeah, yeah that was true in 2003. But in 2007, the program changed, so that word is not, you know, so that, that's basically mm-hmm. what I did.
0: You never went to set or anything? I, I was
1: on set, but I was in the corner with a Wi-Fi and a laptop, and, <laughs> uh, you know, they basically would call me over occasionally for that very thing. You know, we want to change something here. Does it make sense? And I think it's just a comfort level. It was only yeah. 26 days. It was a small shoot up in New York. Um, it was filmed entirely in New York, except for, I think, one day in Washington, D.C.
0: And those days you were on set, was it a little surreal to see your life playing out in front of you?
1: Well, like I said, I, I mostly try to stay yeah. out of line of sight, um, you know, respect Adam and the, the process. Uh, I will say the first day I saw Annette Benning as Feinstein was was quite startling because mm-hmm. she just inhabits Annette in a way that, or Annette, uh, Annette inhabits uh, Senator Feinstein in just this incredible manner.
0: Isn't it insane? Do you know if they were able to speak at all or?
1: Well, they are, fr- I mean, they're, they're been associates um, for a long time. Oh, that's right. right they exactly. know each other. Yeah. Of course. Yep.
0: Yeah, yeah. I wonder, if, did that have anything to do with uh, Annette taking the role, I wonder?
1: Well, I think, you know, what's funny about Annette, Annette didn't need a reminder about what this program was or the yeah. report. I mean, when it came out, of course, Annette read it, right? Read, Annette's probably one of the 100 people who actually read the report when it <laughs> came out. Um, so she was immediately on board, I think, when she read Scott's script. Mm-hmm.
0: And you know they're not making a documentary, that there has to be some creative license taken, but were you surprised with how closely it hewed to the truth?
1: Yeah, I mean, Scott, I mean, one of the reasons I worked with him, because he was so committed to telling this accurately, yeah. um, and any everyth- anything that's related to the report itself is backed up you know, by page numbers, footnotes, etc., but you have to obviously crunch into seven years. Mm-hmm. And what we're missing is there are a lot more senators who are involved in this, there are other staff... Um, you know that sort of storytelling gets lost a little bit in, in the telling of, of all of yeah. this in two hours.
0: I mean, it's a it's a fairly broad question, but I, I think this movie brings it up. I mean, what do you hope people take away from when they see this film? Right.
1: Well, number one, um, the importance of oversight, mm-hmm. right, our checks and balances in our country. Um, two, the need for accountability, right. And we're in a bit of accountability crisis right now in the last twenty or thirty years, and uh, no more so than the CIA. Um, and then three, torture itself I mean just we basically did the largest study of torture that I, that I know of six point three million pages, and it 's just clear that it 's ineffective and yeah. it produces false answers mm-hmm. and um, you know public support in this country is over fifty percent for the use of torture um, and I 'm hoping again that this film mm-hmm. brings that number down significantly, and people can see the truth
0: We see in the movie uh, how you know, people who work on something like this it, it really affects them. Um, and a lot of times they have to get away. Um, Was it difficult for you to not only be in that moment when you were working on this report for so long, but even now is it hard to watch?
1: Well, I mean, it it was seven years, right? It's a seven year journey. Um, I'm really proud of what the committee was able to do and what the senators were able to do with this, but there are parts of it, right? I mean, it was, uh, to do any good researcher, I think, is someone who goes down in the weeds and you sort of cut yourself off from the rest of the world. It helps to be in a windowless room with no internet <laughs> and, and no phone service. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I'm happy to be on the other side of it, to put mm-hmm. it that way, for sure.
0: Yeah, what are you doing now, actually? I hope, like, something in Hawaii.
1: <laughs> it does sound that sounds lovely, <laughs> but no. I run a nonprofit called Advanced Democracy, and we do public interest investigations around the world. We do public corruption, election security work, that kind of thing.
0: So more lighthearted things. More lighthearted yeah. stuff, yeah. <laughs> Um, I actually want to take some questions from the audience, if you have any, feel free to raise your hand. Um, I know this, f- oh sure, right down here. Hi, was there ever a moment where you feared for your life? Yeah, was, was there a moment where you feared for your safety?
1: Um, no, I mean, I was surrounded by senators and staff that really wanted to make this happen. Um, even at the agency, um, there were people who came forward, the Tim Blake Nelson character early on, you may remember, in the parking garage. That is symbolic of other people who came forward at the agency who wanted this report done and wanted it done accurately. Um, but no, I, I, I never felt um, my safety was in any danger at all. And, but I was also I had blinders on too. I was so focused on the report itself.
0: Actually, one of my favorite scenes is where, <laughs> it's so weird because I'm talking about you, but it's obviously not you, but where Adam really expresses his frustration. You know, and like, and you feel that frustration. You feel like the fight against bureaucracy, and I have to imagine it was probably like that every day for you.
1: Seven years, right now. Um, but again, there were senators around. The mm-hmm. Senators are the people who make things happen. I was just enabling the work of senators, and they were really passionate about getting this story not only accurately documented, um, but fighting to get a piece of it out for the public so you could see what was done with US taxpayer dollars. Mm-hmm. And Senator McCain, that ends the film, he he truly believed that the only way you reclaim your moral authority is identifying publicly what you've done and making a commitment that you're not going to do something like that again.
0: Yeah. We have a, sure, right there. Um, I'm curious about whether or not Mm -hmm. And on top of that, regardless of that, do you think Snowden is a hero? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so first question, did that scene where you decided not to give it to the reporter really happen?
1: So that scene is built into a conversation I had with Scott. Um, In 2014, before the release of the report actually occurred, uh, there was a lot of talk in, in the journalist community about whether or not this report would see the light of day. And I was at an event, and a, a senior reporter came up to me from a newspaper that you've all heard of and says, uh, last week we had a meeting, and we decided that if we had your report, we would print it all tomorrow. And it wasn't pressure, but it was an invitation. Um, so Scott used that in this scene. Um, and he also wanted a scene where he could talk about why did this happen, mm-hmm. where Adam could actually um, discuss this a bit for the audience. So. That was kind of a, a amalgamation of, of different things that w- took place, but that exact scene did not happen in a parking garage.
0: And second part of the question: feelings on Edward Snowden.
1: Yeah, Edward Snowden. So, you know, I think um, what I did was working the Senate was my job, right? To do oversight. Um, that's what the senators uh, on that committee do. Um, then there's like two types of whistleblowers. There's a whistleblower we see today with the Ukraine that followed the proper channels, right? Um, and then there's the Edward Snowden model. I'm not here to judge Edward Stone. I don't know the situation there. I do think it could have been done far more responsibly. Um, there's one thing to provide information to the press. It's another thing just to do a massive document dump of your everything you've taken off hard drives, and I thought that was personally irresponsible. But at the end of the day, I'll tell you for sure, Senator Feinstein did not, is not a fan, as it says in the film, for sure.
0: But you, again, did you get frustrated sometimes because you were following the proper channels, and did you ever think, you know, gosh, all this work might not ever get seen.
1: Well, that was the fear, um, but it wasn't my job to, yeah. to make that decision, right? It's, again, senators, and at the end of the day, senators uh, did uh, did the right thing, in my view. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, sure, right there in the middle. Um, first, thank you.
1: Speech and the, the, the fact that they included the flipping the Senate to the Republicans, that imply that, that that some of the state we're in today is a reaction mm-hmm. to that report. Is that is that that seems extreme? To me. I think the latter part. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure Scott would yeah say that. I I don't think that's what the film's trying to say mm-hmm. that there's a direct line there. And uh, the first part was.
0: Oh, uh, the first part was. Do you feel that what you what you were doing was the right thing to do essentially yeah oh yeah was your was it just a job to you or were you passionate about the cause
1: right I mean I I became very passionate about this issue after doing the tapes investigation these tapes were destroyed in 2005 it came to light in 2007 Um, the Bush White House immediately launched a criminal investigation of the CIA's actions the Senate Intelligence Committee, where I was working, we launched a review. We spent two years doing that. Um, produced a p- report that was a little bit over 100 pages. Um, the senators, I testified in front of the Senate, and the senators immediately voted 14 to 1 to launch a much broader investigation. Um, so it wasn't, I was passionate about it for sure. Um, Senators were just as passionate about it, but it was really this issue of torture is one thing to document it. People had heard rumors about the torture, and there's no doubt it was far worse than what the CIA had said. Um, But but what I was taken by, and what I think a lot of the senators were taken by, was the misinformation and the lies. And it started not only under the Bush administration, right, so the CIA misled uh, George Bush, even Dick Cheney, um, and then during the Zero Dark Thirty, you see that scene there, during the Osama bin Laden operation, the CIA was misleading President Obama. Um, and I find that to this day to be the biggest takeaway of the report, not the, not the torture, as terrible as that is and as ineffective as it was, it was the repeated misinformation mm-hmm. that the CIA provided to um, two presidents of different parties with zero accountability.
0: Hmm. We had one right here. to focus on uh, um, a few, few things like those two contractors I just have a sense that there's more than just a few people have popped up like those guys or perhaps, uh, Roo,
1: who just happen to have some tortured like uh, favorite and thinking that this is perhaps a whole culture that's kind of mm. buried below the
0: surface okay. and had an opportunity at 9-11 to emerge. For instance like an in Abu Ghraib I've heard So specifically about the two contractors, if there, if there was more there, but also I'm sort of curious about if there was obviously for a two-hour running time, if there was anything that was left out that you, you know, particularly, I don't want to say missed, that's not the right word, but would have liked to have included.
1: Well, in regards to the two contractors, Mitchell and Jessen, I mean, they didn't come into the picture until the end of March of 2002, but... Within days of the September 11th, there were CIA lawyers discussing the word torture, using the word torture. Um, And the discussion is, using an Israeli Supreme Court case, that foreign countries would be unlikely to prosecute CIA officers who engaged in torture if it saved lives. And that's the kernel of where the lies begin throughout this program. And the legal opinions themselves are based off this idea that the torture is only legal if it produces unique information that the CIA can obtain through signals intelligence, which is like phone calls and emails, or other human sources or foreign countries. So it all started with lawyers. Um, I, had, I came out with some uh, sympathy for the Bush administration and the Obama administration on this because uh, of, of the way they were misled. I'll take, give you an example. Uh, David Addington, Vice President Cheney's um, legal counsel, was on a plane to Guantanamo with the chief attorney uh, from the CIA. And David Addington says, I hear there are tapes of the Abu Zubaydah interrogations. Right, these are the tapes that were destroyed. And the CIA general counsel says to David Addington, we don't tape interrogations. So he didn't answer the question. And we know this because there was an email from that CIA general counsel back to his colleagues, basically bragging. And he says, Addington asked about the tapes. Mm-hmm. I told him we don't tape interrogations. Um, you see the scene with Senator Whitehouse that Scott has in there where he's like Addington Cheney and Adam Driver saying, no, it looks like it's coming from the CIA. Um, but you're, you're right to say though that all those forces were, were uh, underneath the surface, right? This idea that we don't give Geneva protections um, to Al Qaeda. All those things fit into the paradigm of Cheney and others. But to say that this was a Cheney-led program, which is simply is not, um, is not consistent with the CIA's own internal records. Mm.
0: And is there anything that uh, you would have maybe liked to include um, that didn't make the final cut? I have to imagine it was a very tight script.
1: <laughs> right. I mean, it's it, the executive summary itself is 500 pages, right? So there are tons of additional examples. I think Scott did a fantastic job of choosing the ones yeah. that are cogent and, and memorable. Um, and he gets he gets in the weeds, but not far enough to mm-hmm. to lose you. I mean, um, the dirty bomb plot, which um, Scott has in the film, is probably you know 20 pages in the executive summary um, but again Scott goes off and summarizes it <laughs> perfectly yeah. in 3 minutes <laughs> I, I wish he was around when i was writing the report i, was I mean I, say, <laughs> um. <yeah.
0: laughs> I think we have time for one more question huh? right there question about the psychologists involved what became of them
1: on, on the role of the psychologists i mean they did get paid over 80 million dollars over 80 million dollars for this program. So there's no doubt a financial incentive, but Jim Mitchell was a, a true believer in this long before 9-11. Um, you know, his perspective, he has a book out, um, is that the CIA wanted to do a lot worse mm-hmm. than the SEER techniques, and that he saved them from going down a road of doing even more dastardly deeds. That, yeah. that's, that's how he tells the story. Um, but everything else Scott has in the film is entirely accurate. They had no language skills, no cultural expertise, had never conducted an interrogation before. Um, so it's it's really amazing that we were able to go down this road as a country. And then again, the cover up aspects of it, I think, are perhaps more alarming than anything else.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, well, I want to remind everyone this movie is now in theaters. So please spread the word, let everyone know that it's playing here. I want to thank you so much for your work. Thank you for being here. Thank, thank, you. thank you guys for being here. Thank a great you so audience. much for being here. Thanks for listening to the Landmark Theatres Q&A podcast. If you want to hear more conversations with filmmakers about the latest independent, foreign, and documentary films opening at Landmark Theatres, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app or visit our podcast website at landmarktheaters.podbean.com. You can also check out our YouTube channel for videos of Q&As and other exclusive content. See you next time.